nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Oh, what happy days, what happy days we are having this winter. It's winter. Ah, oh, I feel like Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind in the opening scene. She's sitting on the steps of her southern mansion, she says. Oh, war, war, war. That's all anybody talks about. War, war, war. Oh, good old Scarlet O'Hara. Yes. Now that was propaganda, that movie, yes. <laughs> War. I remember on the eve of destruction, I believe in 1992, one night I was writing a grand poem called The Eve of Destruction. I was sitting in an apartment in New York City, and we were all waiting, waiting for the axe, all waiting for the next war. Now, of course, as you know, we have a perpetual war. It never, never ends. It just goes on. We have to have enough of a war to keep the um, military, you know, the, it's uh, the job, the great job. And then, of course, manufacturing all those weapons and armies, uh, you know, the economy. Think of Rome, Rome. They always had a war, just, you know, send another legion up to Gaul and, Ah, oh, yes, supply them, yes, supplies. It's, uh, you know, it's it's <laughs> part of an empire having a war. That time, that sea eve of destruction back in the day when <laughs> Bush, Bush cracked up, you know, the Bushes, both of them always cracked up. Anyway, I got this book. In 1988, I collected this book from a bookstore. Yes, it's a, a big anthology called Women on War, International Anthology, from antiquity to the present. Ah, there's no end. <clears throat> the introduction says, Cassandra's Daughters. Uh-huh, the introduction is interesting. Uh, right. Uh, it's got Arundhati Roy in there. Uh, what is that? Arundhati says, uh, people, yes, people rarely win wars, she writes. Governments rarely lose them. People get killed. Governments molt and regroup. Hydra-headed. They first use flags to shrink, wrap people's minds and suffocate real thought. 
and then as ceremonial shrouds to cloak the mangled corpses of the dead. That's Arundhati Roy. She is writing of India in her essay, War is Peace. War is Peace. Okay. She's only one of the many writers uh, in this edition of Women on War. Uh, <laughs> as I say, there's nothing here that, uh, <laughs> that most people haven't heard about, even if they haven't read all these women. Uh, Cassandra was the Trojan prophet. She went mad. Wacko uh, was in a play once called Trojan Women. Cassandra comes running out. She's been in the temple and she's been visited by visions telling her what's going to happen. And, of course, no one believes her. Uh, <laughs> my friend Italia Guma played the role of Cassandra. She herself was a bit mad. Now, this collection starts out with prophecies and warnings back in 2300 BCE, before the Common Era. That would be uh, 4,300 years ago. <laughs> More recently, we have Emma Goldman, Rosa Luxemburg, Edna St. Vincent Millay, uh, and the one that I want to read to you, Martha Gellhorn. Um, Martha Gellhorn, she died in 1998, born 1908, okay, 90 years. Uh, her book is called The Face of War. Now, Martha Gellhorn was the lover of uh, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> Grand story. He stole her job, uh, World War II. She was off to cover the war in Europe. Uh, I believe Cosmopolitan, was it? forgetting the name of the major American magazine. Anyway, Hemingway stepped in and took the job, and she was forced to go over to Europe on her own. She got on a hospital ship, and uh, she pretended to be a nurse, and she got to Europe, and, uh, of course, she went into shock with what she saw. But uh, if you're the least bit interested in these uh, literary types... Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway, and Martha Gellhorn uh, are in a movie. They make this made this movie about Ernest and Martha. Uh, Nicole Kidman, right, and Clive Owens, terrific picture, HBO. <laughs> yes, now Martha lived to be old and was. Hemingway is, of course, another story. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking through the pages here because this is so overwhelming if you get a chance to buy this book. Uh, right, it's a big, fat anthology, Women on War. Eleanor Roosevelt, Maradel Lassure, Denise Levertov, my God, Robin Morgan, that's the uh, ghost's an Echoes, Letter from Ground Zero. That is the best, the best piece of writing about 9-11. Uh, Robin Morgan's Ghosts and Echoes, Letter from Ground Zero. Ah, uh, Alice Walker and Zora Neale Hurston. Only justice can stop a curse. 
Patrick Kelly in West Germany, Women and Ecology. Sappho, Sappho, 610 BCE, before the Common Era, right? 2610, 630 now, right, okay. <laughs> Sappho's poem, To an Army Wife in Sardis. Same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Jane Addams, Peace and Bread in Time of War. Carolyn Fauché, Return. I've never recovered from a piece that I read by Carolyn Fauché. Uh, <laughs> she's in Central America. Anyway, she, she had uh, she decided to have lunch or to eat with a terrible war criminal and he showed her the ears that he had taken from his victims. Uh, he put them in water in order to uh, fluff them up to show her that they were real. Uh, never mind, I shouldn't have brought that up. It's garish to be talking about. Uh, oh, never mind, never mind. Toni Morrison Sula is included in this anthology. There's a uh, piece in Sula about Shadrach, a young man who goes off to World War I and goes completely mad. He establishes something called National Suicide Day in the village, the little town where he lives in Lorraine, Ohio. Uh, Tony Morrison describes National Suicide Day. It's become a kind of a community holiday by the time Shadrach is through I marked that as something to read when I have more airtime, yes. Sula, Shadrach, and Maya Angelou's And Still I Rise, and Nadine Gordimer, the artist's rebellious integrity, Muriel Ruckhauser, of course. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Olive Schreiner, is there any end? Is there a woman who has not written about the horrors of war. We have, of course, Barbara Ehrenreich, uh, Blood Rights. That is an amazing book. I read at it because it's too painful. It's next to Klaus Thiebelite's books, Male Fantasies, which talks about the horrific ways uh, women are perceived by men, uh, I find it fascinating. Uh, uh, they simply, I guess, they simply see what they need to see. God bless them. Yes. There are several bits here I wanted to read to you. I marked them in which these women explain that uh, there are, uh, what is that? Not the majority, but uh, a huge number of men who are... Uh, in the same space that they too uh, have their hearts lacerated by these uh, these awful events. June Jordan here, she writes of the bombing of Baghdad. I remember uh, 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 60 Minutes television. I remember one of the male journalists watching the bombing and literally like a little boy, yes, 
kept saying, Whee! There they go. Got them. Fascinating stuff. Uh -huh. And yes, Marguerite Duras, the great French writer, and Simone de Beauvoir, and the Russian Anna Akhmatova. Oh, died 1966. Oh, Louisa May Alcott's hospital sketches. Helen Caldicott, the new nuclear danger. Margaret Atwood, bread is a wonderful piece. Uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, the religion of war. Adrian Rich, dark fields of the republic. Six narratives. Uh, I could spend a week simply reading these women late at night. Uh, Grace Paley is the one I would begin with, or Gwendolyn Brooks, her poems. Grace Paley is very funny. Is there a difference between men and women? Obviously not. <laughs> Beckett wrote, uh, I think I shall put the man and the woman in the same story, a man and a woman being so much the same. At least mine are. <laughs> oh, Beckett had so much fun. Now, Martha Gellhorn. Uh, once again, there's a movie, HBO. Clive Owen plays Hemingway. Nicole Kidman plays Martha Gellhorn. Her name, of course, is not forgotten, but not familiar. Hemingway's is, what do you call that? It's the master narrative. Can never, never forget Ernest Hemingway. Uh, Martha's book is called The Face of War. She was a war correspondent, a journalist, an essayist. Uh, I think, yes, her book covers 50 years of the bloody 20th century. Her first article is 1937 concerned the Spanish Civil War. That didn't end until the death of Franco in 1975. Fascism in Spain. 1945, I think we can say Europe lost a war. It's 30 years later when Spain decided they would be uh, if not a democracy, at least <laughs> at least something with a mask of democracy. Uh, now, Gellhorn's work encompassed Finland, China, and ultimately all of Europe. Uh, another eight years of slaughter. Uh, yes, she manages to have a genius for the task of reporting the horrors of war. She continued her accounts in Java, Vietnam, the Middle East, and Central America. Martha Gellhorn witnessed the hideous refinements of weaponry, including the birth and proliferation of nuclear madness. She never gave up. Oh, she never gave into hopelessness. She was among the first to celebrate the advent of the anti-nuclear movement stating clearly and simply, there has got to be a better way to run the world and we better see that we get it. Okay, yes, Gellhorn, you can just Google her up, G-E-L-L-Horn. 
the face of war. Now, here's, here's something in the middle of her essay, yes, on war, she says, she writes, We hardly remember who fought the wars of the roses or why. <laughs> Yet those wars lasted for 30 years. They must have been a deep, dark night for the combatants and for the civilians trapped in them. Still, here we are. Our natural world remains healthy, nourishing, lovely. The race continues uninfected in its bones, its blood, its minds. From the earliest wars of men to our last heartbreaking worldwide effort, all we could do was kill ourselves. Now we are able to kill the future. We are so arrogant that we dare to prepare for this. Uh, we're insane pygmies menacing the very existence of nature. 500 years from now, our east-west quarrel will seem as meaningless as the wars of the roses. Who are we that we presume to end anything? At this point, I hear loud, angry voices as passionate as mine, saying, Survival is not all. If men will not fight against tyrants and slavery, life is worthless. Civilization should perish, etc., etc. I cannot understand this argument, although I have tried. I do not see how the human spirit, housed in the human body, will be able to cherish freedom, revere the rights of others, and practice its highest talent, love, when the earth is sterile from man-made poisons, the air tainted, the race sick and dying. I do not see what human values can be defended when all humanity is lost, good and evil, together. If we make or allow war, we deserve it. But we must limit our weapons and our locales and keep our crime under control. <laughs> Got a, a big red mark there. <laughs> Just imagine trying to control crime. <laughs> Martha Gellhorn goes on to write, We will have to satisfy the madness that is in human nature. We have to satisfy that madness with small, non-nuclear wars of a type we are getting more and more used to. There you go, there you go. The little wars, border wars now everywhere. I think at last count there were at least 22 border wars uh, in Western Europe. Uh-huh. Uh it is in our ancient tradition to murder each other, but only we, we in the present, should pay the price for our abominable stupidity. <laughs> well, footnote here. My favorite quote. I think it's Voltaire, yes. Those who can be made to 
believe uh, uh, absurdities can be made to uh, endure atrocities. <laughs> Another note here. I remember when I was reading Barbara Gellhorn, I, I, I wrote about the good Germans. It was at that point that I believed that somehow uh, some seed had moved from uh, the Holocaust from Germany, from the Nazi horror into our own society. Uh, some of the scientists were actually invited over, but uh, fascism, the new face of friendly fascism. And I thought, well, if I'm one of the good Germans, then I must get in touch with my inner Nazi. Aha, I used to call her the goose girl. She was goose-stepping the goose girl getting in touch. Aha. Okay. Northa Gellhorn goes on to say, nothing that concerns us in our brief moment of history. Nothing gives us the right to stop time, to blot out the future, to end the continuing miracles and glories and tragedies and wretchedness of the human race. There is a single plot in war. Action is based on hunger, on homelessness, on fear, pain, and death. Starving wounded children in Barcelona in 1938, uh, in 19... 44, she goes on to list, list, list the starving, wounded children. Today, my own footnote says these children are inside our own borders or just over the border into uh, Mexico, so many places. Children, homeless, taken from their parents. Uh, in, I... I hate to call them camps, but what else can we call them? Uh, they are refugees, millions of them, dragging themselves and whatever they can carry away. Uh, they are refugees, but they have no safe place to go. Uh, these refugees are one people all over the globe, the shapeless bundle of a dead American soldier in the snow of Luxembourg is like any other soldier's corpse in any other country. War is simply a horrible repetition. <laughs> Footnote here. Bertolt Brecht tried to write the, the great play about uh, women. It was called Mother Courage. Difficulty is that Mother Courage, in that play and elsewhere, can do nothing but try to survive. Uh, she has no agency of her own, no authority. She is not the author of her own war. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Gellhorn, Martha Gellhorn writes... She says, I wrote very fast as I had to, and I was always afraid that I would forget the exact 
sound, smell, words, gestures which were special to this moment and this place. I hope I learned to write a bit better as years passed. The point of my articles is that they are true. They tell what I saw. Perhaps they will remind others as they remind me of the face of war. We can hardly be reminded too much or too often, I believe, that memory and imagination, not nuclear weapons, are the great deterrents. Ah, another footnote I remember Diane de Prima writing in her collection, Revolutionary Letters, yes. The war on the imagination, she said, that is the, the great war, perhaps the only war, the war on the imagination. I suppose uh, it is impossible, impossible to imagine uh, the end of our species. Uh, artists are trying. <laughs> I'm looking at another, uh, another writer in this collection. Uh, it's not Grace Paley. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a woman writing about the Holocaust. Krista Wolf. Her book is called Cassandra. She's a literary critic. Uh, she's in the German Democratic Republic. Wow. Wow. Oh, boy. Uh, here's what she writes. I love this. She says, Shouldn't an experiment be made to see what would happen if the great male heroes of world literature were replaced by women. Achilles, Hercules, Oedipus, Odysseus, Agamemnon, King Lear, Faust, Jesus. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. I don't know if those figures... Uh, I would say that they are feminists, some of them. Uh, we are told that every human being is androgynous. I think that the great playwrights, certainly the great Greek playwrights, were very, very much aware of the, uh, the woman inside themselves. Surely they had mothers, sisters, daughters, lovers. Surely they, they reached out and plucked this uh, this psyche, the little magic that was in the uh, in the air. I think that possibly because the Greek women were locked up in their houses, uh, sometimes they got themselves together and went up on the roof and had a party. <laughs> sometimes they even came down from the roof and uh, did a little vandalism. That's another story. One of these days, I'll read you that story. It's wonderful about the women going down. The locals thought Alcibiades had done it, but it was the women who came down and vandalized the Apollos. Their little Hermes all over, uh, all over Athens. This has been Jennifer Stone with stones throw. I'll be back again soon. Till then, go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.
Ian Haney Lopez, professor of public law at UC Berkeley, is a leading thinker on the ways racism has evolved. His work reveals the connection between our racial divisions and the surging wealth inequality. His new book, Merge Left, Fusing Race and Class, Winning Elections, Saving America, explains the hidden, coded racism so prevalent today. Lopez will converse with Saru Jayaraman, president of One Fair Wage and director of the Food Labor Research Center at UC Berkeley. She was recently named Visionary of the Year by the San Francisco Chronicle. Lopez and Jayaraman will speak Wednesday evening, January 22nd, 7.30 at Kahila Synagogue, 1300 Grand Avenue in Oakland. This KPFA benefit has wheelchair access. Tickets available at brownpapertickets.com and supportive indie bookstores. That's January 22nd. Ian Haney Lopez and Saru Jayaraman. Blair Imani, an acclaimed historian, is an outspoken advocate for LGBTQ rights and for the rights of all marginalized people in the world. She's a dynamic public speaker. In 2017, Blair came out on national television as a queer Muslim woman. Her new book is Making Our Way Home, The Great Migration and the Black American Dream. Her book is a powerful illustrated history of the six million black Americans who left the South between 1910 and 1970 and had such a huge creative impact on American culture. Davey D. will be talking with her Wednesday evening, January 15th, starting at 7.30 at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Oakland, 114 Montecito Avenue. There's wheelchair access, tickets available at brownpapertickets.com and Marcus Books, as well as other indie bookshops in the East Bay. KPFA, KPFB, Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org.